0: This morning, we're joined by Belinda Ray, Counselor for District 1 for Portland and Peaks Island. We have a wide-ranging discussion about the priorities for the City Council over the course of the next year, including housing, public transportation, and easing the tax burden. Belinda Ray will be back next month with another update on what's going on in the city and why it's relevant to Peaks Islanders. Belinda, thanks so much for joining us for this first of hopefully many conversations about um, things happening with the city council and the way that that affects us on the city islands, including Peaks.
1: Oh, thank, thank you, Chris. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks.
0: Um, I understand that recently, with the new uh, mayor installed and also the new city council installed, that there was a priority setting session. Can you tell me a little bit about what those priorities are that are coming together for the city council?
1: Sure. Um, it was an exciting session because honestly, it is the first goal setting session we have had in four years. And it was really wonderful. The the new mayor, Kate Snyder, she did a fantastic job. She brought in a facilitator, Carol Martin, who helped to guide us through the process. And we all did some work before we got there. We all emailed in advance our particular goals um, that we hoped would be the overarching goals for the Council for the Year. Then we spent some time sharing those ideas and trying to really get down to the things that we had in common that we all really felt needed to be focused on. So where we settled, the first one we settled on, in fact, was housing. And uh, I think everyone knows that's a critical need in the city of Portland and in cities across the country. So um, we didn't just say housing. I'm trying to remember the exact phrasing of it. We were looking to increase housing across the city. We also included within that goal the goal of addressing homelessness, and of course one of the major ways to address homelessness is to increase our housing, Um, and I think we also had within that goal a continuing look at how to best address the needs of people coming to our community from other countries, other cultures, and, and really trying to help integrate that population. So that was the first goal, was around housing and homelessness and addressing what we saw as probably a continued um, continued arrivals from people from other places, and I need to address that. The second goal that we all agreed on was around public transit, and um, that's one of my pet areas. I, it's one of my passions, really. So the goal, I think the way we stated it, was to increase capacity and infrastructure for public transit in the city of Portland. Um, And there are a lot of ways to do that. We can talk about that more. But then the final goal was around fiscal responsibility. Um, There was a goal to balance all the needs in the city and make sure that we are being responsible with taxpayer funding and to try to have a minimal tax increase. Um, I I don't think it's possible to have no tax increase, but minimal tax increase in order to be fiscally responsible. And we have not yet put a particular number on that, but we do have a follow-up goal-setting session on February 10th where perhaps we'll zero in on a number.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Those sound like great goals. It sounds also like a very collaborative process. Is that um, something that you expect to continue throughout the entire you know, 2020 City Council session?
1: I really do. I think um, it feels very collaborative. It feels, uh, <laughs> it, it's a great feeling in City Hall these days. I, I am really impressed with our new mayor, Kate Snyder. I did not know her well. I had met with her a few times prior to her being elected, but she is a very collaborative person. She is definitely interested in getting as much information as she can. She does not react quickly. She wants to make sensible and rational choices. Um, Yeah, it feels really good, and I think that that will be the nature of our council for this year and hopefully beyond.
0: That's great. That would be a wonderful change. Um,
1: Yes, indeed.
0: So let's talk about public transit first, because that is something that you are heavily involved in. Um, What are some of the specific ways you think that folks are starting to coalesce around as far as um, enhancing public transportation?
1: I think people are really beginning to realize a couple of things. Number one, that public transportation is for everybody. Um, that it's not just for people who can't afford a car. That's a good choice for people regardless because public transit, when you increase your public transit, you get more people on public transit. You start to address every issue that we face. You, um, public transit gives us access to housing in different places in the city. It gives people access to jobs. So it deals with workforce. Um, Economic development tends to pop up around transportation hubs, and public health is improved when people are taking transit because people are pedestrians or cyclists before and after they get off or on transportation. And um, it also addresses, obviously, sustainability and environmental issues. So I think people are beginning to realize that it is a huge part of addressing so many of the issues we face. Some of the ways to Increase our public transit infrastructure, we can do as a city through our planning process. If we are looking around the city for places where we can help to speed public transit, if we had bus only lanes or places where there's a queue jump possibility, and what that means is that um, the bus will get a light. So there might be a, uh, you know, how we have center turn lanes, maybe the center lane. Just as you come to a light, would be for the bus only, and then the bus would get the light ahead of the other lane, and that's called a queue jump, where the bus gets to jump ahead of the rest of the traffic. Um, there are things we can do to make sure that where we have transit stops, we have ADA compliance. Obviously, Metro, the the transit district here, works on that a great deal, but the city can also be a partner in that. We can, people aren't going to love hearing this, but if we reduce our parking minimums, it makes it more difficult to have a car and it encourages more people to use a bus. Reducing parking minimums also addresses housing because if you have a housing development and you're requiring them, like it's 30 units of housing and you're requiring them to have 30 spaces of parking along with that, that space that they can't dedicate to housing. They might have to have a surface lot, and so they can't build on it, or they might have to have a parking lot under the building, and so it's just, it takes up housing space. So reducing those parking minimums does, in fact, help with both public transit and with housing. Mm-hmm. So those are those are some of the things.
0: You're you're right about that. And I, so I, I just to interrupt for a second. You're right about that. I think, and I think that. People do certainly complain about parking in Portland, but I think if people um, had the understanding that what it was doing was providing sort of more quality of life access for people in terms of right. public transportation or or maybe and or um, access to affordable housing in parts of the city, that that would go a long way. Yeah. It, does the city council have a plan to sort of communicate these messages to, to folks around the city?
1: Well, I think our goal setting session on the temp will be a good follow up where we are planning to talk about particular committees' plans and how they will be addressing these goals. So that will be maybe a first communication of the ways in which various committees might be looking at this. And sustainability and transportation, which I am on, um, Councilor Spencer Thibodeau is the chair of that committee. A lot of the issues that I just mentioned are things that would probably go through that committee. Um, Another thing is signal prioritization. And that's where um, a light stays green when it knows a bus is coming. So that helps to speed transit along, too. So these are all things that the Sustainability and Transportation Committee would look at, along with plans, for instance, like uh, the Commercial Street Study. We've had a study of Commercial Street, and I'm hoping we're going to be reviewing that at the Sustainability Committee. And obviously, that's a street that's very important to islanders, And along with that commercial street study, there was a study of the landing out on Peaks, which I'm hoping is going to be coming forward soon because we know we need improvements out there. One thing I do want to say around parking, because I know that this is uh, Peaks Island Radio, is that I do understand how difficult it is for people who live on the island and they need a place to park on the mainland. And so when I talk about reducing parking minimums, I am talking about reducing them for new developments, but I do think what we need to be doing is prioritizing the parking that we do have for our residents. And that way, people coming to the city should come without cars, people coming to work, to play, uh, to visit. Those folks should all be arriving without cars. And if everybody did, that would really reduce our congestion and our parking difficulties tremendously.
0: Right, yeah, and I've seen... Um, you know, articles or studies that have been done both in some areas of the United States, but largely in Europe, too, where they'll have almost like a ring around various parts of the city where lots mm-hmm. of people come in. And that will be a hub for things like, you know, bus or in some places they use trolleys or things like right. that, too. Is that part of your vision of what parking might look like for people who are commuting into Portland?
1: Absolutely. And I some satellite lots, you know, potentially there could be satellite lots in Portland, but but far off the peninsula. But also, I think it's even more important to have these satellite lots further out. Some people are driving to Portland far from the north or far from the south. And if they can park in Falmouth or if they can park in Biddeford and hop on a train or hop on a bus, to get the rest of the way, that is going to reduce congestion on 295 and on 95 and be tremendously helpful for people. So the train, for instance, the Downeaster, is looking at a Falmouth um, a Falmouth connection where they would, in fact, have a park and ride so that people can get on the Downeaster in Falmouth and take it the rest of the way into Portland. And another thing that's interesting and exciting with the train is that they're looking at the possibility of moving that train station, because right now you take the train and you arrive close to Thompson's Point, but that's not necessarily the most convenient for people that might be coming to, say, Main Medical Center for Work right. or Mercy right. or, or something, right? So if they moved that transportation center onto the peninsula, um Rel- I mean, they're looking at areas relatively close to where Union Station used to be. Mm-hmm. That's going to be so much more helpful, getting people right into town, right into the heart of things. That is... So these, are, I think these are all really exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah, that absolutely. is very exciting. And actually, one of my questions is going to be, are we talking just about the bus system here about other things? And I'm glad to hear that there are you know, plans maybe for the train station as well and for making the rail more accessible for folks. Are, are there things that I'm missing in this conversation too beyond bus and train?
1: Um well ferry, obviously you guys are very familiar with the ferry and I know that um Casco Bay Lines is is continuing to look through things and looking at that larger ferry that many people don't like, but perhaps it will be a really uh beneficial change. And scheduling. I don't think they have any schedules out. They were kinda looking at that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right. And I think they've gone back to the drawing board on on some of those schedules. But I Yeah. I do wonder what um sort of a a commuter-friendly tweak to that schedule would look like.
1: Right. Yes. And and, um, one thing that I'm involved with right now, too, is the Metro bus is looking at its peninsula routes. We have a task force that is checking out the number one and the number eight in conjunction with all of the other routes that do have some On Peninsula presence, and trying to figure out how to make those the most beneficial to people. And so, right now, if you come into Casco Bay Lines and you want to get elsewhere in the city, it's the number eight that stops there, and the number eight kind of meanders around and won't get you many places quickly. So, we're looking at that and trying to make sure that um, we have the best possible service for people. One thing that could come out of this process is a circulator, so you might have the one and the eight doing some um, kind of direct routes to transportation hubs. So there's a ferry to the to the train station, to the bus station, that kind of stuff, and then something else, a circulator that is doing. Uh, Kind of a free get-you-around-the-city thing where you can just hop on hop off a lot of other places have these And if we could manage a free circulator that would help move a lot of people too. I
0: do want to hear more about this um, circulator concept is that something that um, was part of a study that would talk about how You know routes are improved or rather I guess maybe efficiency for folks commutes is improved Is that something that's been tried and true in other places?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of communities that have this sort of free circulator. And the idea with transit is that you want the most direct route possible. And and most often you want it linear. You don't want to do loops. You want to go out and back because that way people don't have to travel an entire loop if they want to get to, um, like if you think of a clock, if you get on at number one, and where you're trying to go is to number 12. <laughs> if it goes in a loop, you're going to have to go all the way around that clock to get to your destination. Linear, you know, um, if it's linear, then then you're going back and forth, back and forth. Um, so you try to be linear with transit routes. Circulators are more to get you to those, uh, to really are kind of loops around the city. And they will help get you to places that aren't maybe on a major transit corridor. So so this is something I've seen in other cities. I know I was visiting my niece in Baltimore, and there was a, like a just free bus. Just hop on, hop off, and it'll take you around the city. And um, we kind of get a feel for that on First Fridays because the bus is free on First Fridays. So it is kind of a hop on, hop off. So you can start to imagine what it would be like it just frees up a lot of transit and transit use. When people can when people know they don't have to make change and they don't have to figure this out um and they can just hop on hop off, they start to experiment with public transit and perhaps become users. Oh, and that's another thing I want to mention about public transit is that starting in probably in April um Metro is launching a new fare collection system, which will be electronic, so you will no longer have to fumble for change. You can still pay in cash, but you will be able to pay using an app on your phone that is linked to an account, or if you don't want to go that route, you can purchase a smart card, which would essentially be like a gift card that you can load and reload over and over again with money, and, um, and then you'll be able to just swipe and get on the bus. And not worry about do I have the seventy five cents that I need? Do I have the two dollars?
0: That's fabulous. That will help too. That is absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, as far as transportation issues are concerned, it sounds like you um, being on the on the committee with uh, Spencer chairing it and sort of really doing a deep mm-hmm. dive into these issues is is fantastic. Are there any other? committees? Are there any other sort of city actors that are involved in this process? And and do you think that you're going to be able to get them on board?
1: Uh, Specifically with regard to public transportation? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So really, we have seven transit agencies that operate within this city. There are, I think, what, three bus services. There's um, Metro South Portland and Shizum, the shuttle bus from Taco, Biddeford, Old Orchard, oh, and RTP, and then there's the train, there's the ferry, and there's someone I'm leaving out, which is too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But really, we need to get all of them agreeing on a lot of these things. Metro is the one that we as a city pay into. They are our transit district and they operate within our community, and also Falmouth and Westbrook are members, and then recently, Freeport, Yarmouth, and Brunswick joined as members. So Metro definitely has to be part of the conversation. The other transit agencies need to be part of the conversation too, and that is happening through another sort of task force called Transit Tomorrow, where we have all of these transit organizations meeting on a regular basis to create a regional vision for public transit um, for the foreseeable future. And try to decide how we're going to make all these agencies work together so that it's easier for the user. Because that's what we all need to be thinking about. We don't want someone to have to have five different cards and understand seven different payment mechanisms in order to use public transit in our region. So we've been working on that. And in fact, when we switch at Metro to the new fare collection system, South Portland bus is going to do the same. We are working with them. And so is the shuttle bus. Taco biddeford old Orchard Zoom is going to also do that fare collection method. So that's a great thing. That is great.
0: Does that mean the, people can have all three in the same app or even on the same smart card, maybe? Yes. Fantastic.
1: Yes. So you will be, yeah. So that's going to make that a lot easier because some people might have, um, you know, different passes, different IDs, you know, who accepts what, and now we'll all have the one, and we're using one fare structure as well, I think, at least to start out. Everybody's happy with one fee. Um, There are reduced fares for people in certain categories and things like that, but it will just make it so much more seamless across the system. Um, I think the council in general is really supportive of public transit, Obviously, it's one of the three goals that we set, three priorities, and it was on multiple counselors and the mayor's individual goals to increase public transit. So I think we're really doing well here. I see surrounding communities feeling the same way. I serve on the Metro Board with people from those communities that I mentioned. They're very excited to get regional transportation going. Um, I'm the president of the Metro Board, so I do end up sitting on that transit tomorrow task force as well. And people around the table, it's, it's really nice. I think it's easy for an agency to get a little territorial and say, Oh, you know, I understand you kind of want us all to collaborate, but I'm, I'm nervous that if I collaborate here, we're going to lose jobs. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my importance. But what I hear is everybody around the table really working together to to try to make this seamless. I think they all understand that if we want to accomplish the goals we all have, that's, that's where we need to go. So I'm feeling good about the direction here. Oh, and, and recently the Chamber of Commerce in Portland made public transit one of their priorities for the year. So yeah, so we have them wanting to talk to businesses. Um, Metro has been doing past programs. We, we have one with USM. We have one with Uh, main medical center, the Portland public schools all use Metro, the high schools. And once we switch to the new fare collection system, it will be easier to do pass programs with other businesses. So we're getting some huge businesses in Portland and wouldn't it be fantastic if as part of their parking and traffic management plans, they offer free passes to their employees.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. That,
1: That gets everyone on the bus. It helps to increase the capacity of the bus. So I'm feeling pretty good about it.
0: That's great. Um, so last thing on transportation, because I do want to talk about the other priorities too, but you had mentioned at the outset sure. that um, walking and biking were sort of part of the plan when it comes to people using public transportation. Are there any innovations or, or steps that are going to be taken around pedestrian and cycling traffic?
1: Yes, Um In Portland, we do have a complete streets policy so that every time a street is designed, it is supposed to consider all modes of transportation. And so that includes cars, but it includes transit, and it also includes pedestrians and cyclists. Um, So we definitely look at that. We would continue to look at more bike lanes in the city, and I know it's always one of the chair of the Sustainability and Transportation Committee's priorities to get another protected bike lane. We have just one in the city right now down on um, Park Avenue. It's the first one that was put in, and, and Spencer pushed pretty hard for that, so I know he wants another one. More pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure is definitely important. We have been implementing the rapid flashing beacons In various high traffic areas, those are the poles that a pedestrian can press when they're at a crosswalk and it lights up to help draw attention to the fact that there's someone in the crosswalk. So we do continue to try to look at infrastructure that encourages walkability um, and use of bicycles in the city as well.
0: That's great. I'm particularly encouraged to hear about the um, sort of segregated, the bike lane or the protected bike lane. Because I know in some parts of the city yeah. it's it's very challenging, especially in the summer months where there's a lot more traffic, and people are less familiar right. frankly um who are visiting from out of town with those bike lanes. It's challenging yeah. for folks to sort of do the weaving that has to be done in some other parts of the city.
1: It really is I went to an interesting talk recently because i'm i'm i I bike a lot and I'm pretty comfortable in traffic and what someone said at this was um you know the protected bike lanes aren't for people that feel comfortable already when you add just a painted bike lane you're not drawing in new bikers you're not you're not encouraging new people to join you on the road new bikers in order to become comfortable and give it a try they need the protected lanes so if you're serious about it you have to be serious about the bike lanes being protected and that that kind of hit me as, oh, you know what? Just because I'm comfortable, I need to make sure that um, I'm not assuming that we're okay if we just paint a bike lane. We we need to take another step. We need to go a little further. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. Yeah. I, I think that is such a phenomenal insight into the way people approach biking too, right? It's it's, a most, it's right. like a version of training wheels for your bike lane.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's true.
0: Um, all right. So let's chat a little bit about, about housing. if If You would like to move in that direction. So you had said one of the priorities was um, expanded access to housing. I'm I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if that's a sort of shift in priority to more affordable housing um, on the peninsula, or if that means sort of citywide that there's going to be a push for affordable housing.
1: I think citywide. um, I think people would love for there to be varying economic levels of housing everywhere throughout the city because I think I think it's pretty common sense to understand that it's never good to segregate people by economics or by anything, but we don't want there to be sections of affordable housing and sections where the housing is all high-end. It's it, It's much better when all of those various economic levels are integrated. So we would certainly love to see housing at all levels across the city. Um, I know that people wrote this differently. I think I wrote, I just wanted to increase housing period. I think I might've written at all levels, increase housing at all levels. Some people really want to focus on affordable. Um, and some people really want to focus on workforce. And then there's also the, the idea that there's this missing middle. So we're getting, We're getting a lot, everyone knows we're getting a lot of high-end stuff. We're also getting a lot of subsidized housing. So for people that are struggling economically and are making 60% or less of the average median income, what we're not getting a lot of is that in between, particularly 80 to 100% of the area median income. And these are probably the people that are filling a lot of our really important jobs, like teachers and firefighters and police officers, Um, And those are the folks that are having the hardest time finding a place in Portland. So I think increasing housing at all levels is the goal. It's not always easy. We can't control what someone wants to build on private property. What we can try to do, and what the housing committee, which I I don't serve on, but what they have been trying to do is identify parcels of city-owned land. In the city that we could use to incentivize a particular level of housing so if we wanted housing to suit that 80 to 100% um, area median income level and we have a parcel of land that we could offer for free or at a very low cost or uh, through a long-term lease at a very low cost to a developer then they might be able to produce the housing at that level and we could have an agreement to that effect you know we will provide the land you create the housing but it has to suit this level of economic viability so that's one way and they have identified some parcels and they are working through this and i think they're going to um maybe do a request for proposals for what people believe they could develop on the parcel if the city uh is able to offer them the land for free or for a free lease rather so that's one thing um Another thing that they are looking at is the possibility of having some kind of community land trust where there are parcels that are then managed by a land trust, and that trust would be responsible for um constructing and maintaining. Housing at certain income levels.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very a novel idea. I, I like that yeah. idea because we do have land trusts, including out on peaks, that are meant to, um, you know, further goals such as conservation. But I think one of the things we're seeing, um, and not just in Portland, but in in many places that have um, rapidly growing, you know, high end um, markets, is needing to conserve things like affordable housing, right? So if something gets into that trust and then we know that that is going to sort of be there for the for the life of the trust as a place where people can live affordably, um, that would be phenomenal.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and so the housing committee is kind of looking at a lot of these possibilities for ways to make sure that we're incentivizing more housing. They had their meeting the other night to start setting some of their particular Steps And I, I was not able to attend that. So I'm looking forward to hearing what they came up with.
0: That's great. And I, I imagine that a related issue um, for homeowners as opposed to renters, although I think it affects renters too, just in a, a different way further down the line, um, is your goal of easing the, or the council's goal of easing the tax burden. Um, is there, is there a mechanism that the city council is looking at that would sort of target folks who are in that particular group? of people who are, you know, 80 to 100% or even maybe less than 80 to make sure that their tax burden does not price them out of Portland even if they um, you know, have paid off their house for example.
1: Yeah, so we we um have one kind of tax relief thing in in place right now, but it's for people who are 65 and older. And um it's hard to come up with tax relief simply because every time you offer relief to one segment of the population, you increase it on every other segment because we need to come up with the money to offer the tax relief. Um, I think people have talked about the possibility of trying to expand the tax relief beyond the segment we have right now, but that is really why we had the third goal, which is minimal tax increase. Um And the other thing that we're trying to do is to come up with other revenue streams for the city. So we put into place last year impact fees on hotels and hotels now pay a fee when they are, when a new hotel comes in, it pays a fee per room and it's a pretty hefty fee. Uh, And that money goes directly into the housing trust fund to try to help create and incentivize new housing. Um, the other the other piece in terms of tax relief is really trying to make sure that we are being very fiscally responsible as we make choices in our budget this year that we're not putting in new programs that will create strain for people and we are particularly cognizant of it knowing that there are areas of the city that are going to be hit pretty hard by the revaluation that is coming right So um, areas that have seen a big increase in their property values haven't seen that increase in their taxes yet because we have not revalued in the city since 2005. And I think we all know that since 2005, property values have skyrocketed here. So some places where the values have gone up tremendously are going to see their property values go up course, the mill rate for the city will at that time come down because the city doesn't look to make money off a of revaluation. The city still keeps its same budget. But some folks are going to see that their, their taxes are going to go up as a result. So I think that's making a lot of people nervous, and it's certainly making the council feel particularly the need to uh, rein in the tax increases as much as possible.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, so I know, and I understand and appreciate what you had said about not wanting to shift tax burdens from you know one segment of the of the population, residential population, to another in Portland. And I, I think a related question that a lot of folks have is with all of the high end development that's been happening in places like the East End, um, less so on Peaks, although I'm, I'm sure that Peaks will um, sort of see fluctuations too as a result of revaluation. But places like the East End, where before it was a fairly middle class community um, now has a lot of growth in the, in the high end. Um, is there a plan to either change or limit the number of those larger developments that get tax um, rebates, basically, or or tax deductions for coming in and building? Is that something that's still actively happening?
1: Well, OK, so there's a little bit, I think. Of misunderstanding, nobody's getting a tax rebate or or even a tax cut. So what happens when you have and it's called a TIF? This is what people get upset about: is the TIF, right, yep. and the credit enhancement agreement that goes with it, right? So let's say I have a property and my property taxes right now are a th- or I buy a property, it's a vacant lot, and so my property taxes right now are just a, we'll say a thousand dollars a year. If I build something there. I know that my um, value of the land is going to go up tremendously, which means that the taxes will also go up tremendously. And so what we do sometimes is offer as an incentive to someone to go ahead and build this um, credit enhancement agreement. And so what that does is they still pay that $1,000 property tax every year. They don't get any kind of rebate on that. But if they build something that then raises, so the new property taxes are 5000 what we do is split that $4,000 tax increase with them over a number of years. So instead of having to pay the whole 4000 they will pay a portion of the new taxes for a certain number of years. And then at the end of this credit enhancement agreement, the city's going to get the full benefit of that additional tax revenue.
0: Right. So for a, a so, period of time they That make sense. It does. Yep. Um
1: for a, for a period of time they might be getting uh I think the most they can get back is 70%, they can get 70% of those taxes back. But they're still going to pay 30% of the new tax value. And the other thing people I hope understand is that it's really rare. That it only happens in a case where the financial need is determined, so it's always examined by a third party who says, "Yes, they won't be able to do this project unless they can get this agreement. Um and it's rare. I, I think we've only approved one or yeah, I think we've only approved one that wasn't for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Since I've since I've been on the council, okay. So it's it's a rare thing.
0: I think that that's something that folks don't know. I think that when I when I particularly hear people talk about it, I think they think it's widespread. Um, so knowing that it affects right. a, a very small number of properties, I think, um, right. probably makes that easier for folks.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so it's the credit enhancement agreement. That's the part that people don't like. Um, so that's where the other misunderstanding comes here. Is that every time there's a TIFF Every time something's added into a TIF district, people think that there's some kind of benefit to the business, but putting someone in a TIF district actually benefits the city because what it does is it places someone, um, any, any properties that are in a TIF district don't count towards our state of Maine valuation. And our state of Maine valuation is what determines how much school funding we get or how much we pay on our county tax. So if we're able to essentially hide some of our value in a TIF district, our state valuation is not as high. That gets us more state funding for education and a lower county tax. So there are some benef- some big benefits to TIF as well.
0: All right, that's very good to know. I'm not sure that um, that's really at the foremost of folks' minds when they're thinking about that. So I, I think that's a great thing to share. Um, Thank you.
1: I didn't. I didn't know this stuff until I got on the council. I didn't, it's not <laughs> it's it's complex and it's not stuff that you necessarily have time to sit down and wade through. But once you, this becomes, you know, it's part of my job now. So now I understand these things. I not I didn't have this knowledge when I wasn't on the council. I I and I don't expect other people to just walk around and examine tip districts or the way they work either.